You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 415, A Closer Look at the Corinthians, Part 3. And and what we're doing is we're actually going through, um, you know, we're not going super, super in-depth, but I want to give you some insight and highlight some of the important material in the Corinthian letters. Now, we, we talked about the fact that you know, all of Paul's letters are important. But when you look at the volume of, of material that he that he gives us in first and second Corinthians, uh, and the, the many, many subjects and topics that he talks about, these are incredibly practical and helpful letters, even two thousand years after they were written. Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ is still alive and well, and we can be very thankful to the Apostle Paul for for giving us instruction and material and 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 you know essentially the the inspired Word of God through Paul on uh, you know different matters regarding the church. And we've looked at a bunch of them. We we talked about that this letter was first of all written. Uh, Paul was writing in regards to issues that he had heard about, talking to different people. Um, as they had visited him, and uh, he's probably writing from Ephesus and uh, sharing, you know, his insight on some of the problems they were dealing with. He also received a letter from the Corinthian church and answered some of the questions, and that's still where we're at. And and and, and what we're dealing with now in chapter, uh, essentially chapter eleven uh, through chapter fourteen, the end of chapter fourteen, he's dealing with public worship and uh, the proper use of spiritual gifts. Um, you know, public worship is, is really the, the, the face of the local church. I mean, that's how people uh, think of the church, the, the church services. You know, most people, if they're just a casual uh, a church attender, they don't think so much in, in, in the, the terms of what does the church do outside of the walls on Sunday. Uh, when in reality they may be involved in different things in the community. There's small groups, there's different ministries that meet and do things. But public worship is very important because that's when we all come together and, and celebrate. And uh, I just got home from church a little while ago, and, and you know, we had an amazing uh, Sunday service and, you know, the Holy Spirit moving and touching lives and a great word and, um, you know, it's always great to fellowship and connect with your brothers and sisters. I mean, Sunday mornings are amazing. We love them. But we also have to make sure we're doing things in accordance and in the guidelines of the Scripture. So so Paul gives instructions, um, uh, and, and I'm just going to give a few of them. You know, we're, we, he talks about the Lord's Supper. There was issues in Corinth with the Lord's Supper. Now, 
One of the different things uh, that they had in the early churches, they celebrated the Lord's Supper pretty much uh, every time they met. And this was usually done kind of in conjunction with having a meal together. And of course, many churches still do that today. But at some point during the meal, the pastor or one of the leaders would uh, talk about, you know, the fact that Jesus uh, gave us this this Last Supper to remember his death. And, uh, you know, so they'll do it during their meal together. But what was happening was you had the rich people who were showing up ahead of time and, you know, they're bringing, you know, plenty of food with them. And then you got folks that are coming right from work, maybe poorer people, and they're showing up and maybe they don't have as much to bring. And, you know, they didn't quite understand in the first century this idea of, you know, bringing a meal, you know, a dish to share it. And so, you know, what was essentially happening is some people were, were, were eating plenty. In fact, he says this in, in chapter 11, uh, verse 29. He says, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you, hurry up and eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Not drinking any grape juice there in Corinth. And he says, you know, don't you have your homes for eating and drinking, or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? And so, you know, today we look at that and we go, well, that's silly, because we do. We have this idea of, you know, everybody bring a dish to share. But, you know, things evolve, and, and they weren't there yet, and people would bring their own food and their own meals, and their idea was, the attitude seemed to be, well, you know, you, you bring yours, I'll bring mine. But again, you got people coming right from work. you got people who maybe don't have the means. And so he, he gives these beautiful guidelines. In fact, um, in chapter 11, verse uh, 23, he, he actually says, listen, this is what it's about. I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, broke it, gave it, said, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then he talks about the cup, and he, he, he concludes that passage. He says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so this is a, a, a very important passage because it's, it's telling us the importance of remembering and commemorating the Lord's Supper. Okay, we know that. Most churches do it. Uh, some do it you know, every Sunday depending on your tradition. Others do it maybe quarterly or a few times a year. Maybe they do it, maybe you do it once a month, however you, you choose to do it. But he's also emphasizing in this passage the fact that we're to be caring for each other. Not only are we remembering the Lord's death and what Jesus did when we celebrate, but we're also, if, if we're sharing a meal together, we're bringing food to share with others. We're, we're making sure nobody goes hungry. We're making sure that you know, uh, you know, people aren't getting drunk if you're drinking real wine. Um, you know, and, and 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 understanding what it really means. If we're just coming together and eating, 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 and look, I love to eat, but but you know, during this time when we're also sharing the Lord's Supper, we're commemorating the fact that Jesus is the bread of life, and it's His blood that washes away our sins. And then Paul moves into chapters 12, 13, and 14. And he talks about spiritual gifts. Now, if you want to get a really good discussion going, go on Facebook and, and, and post something about speaking in tongues because you're going to have people explode. Your timeline is going to light up. Pop you some popcorn and just sit back and, and watch because, you know, part of the church, 
certain theological traditions hold to a, a, a theological teaching called cessationalism, which, which teaches that uh, spiritual gifts essentially, now not all of them, they'll accept some of them, but some of them, like prophecy and tongues and words of knowledge, etc., um, don't exist today. And, and probably miracles and healing too. And um, these are, are, you know, we hardly ever see these anymore. And that's what, that's what they teach. When in reality, there's no New Testament grounds for that. You really have to, uh, to work hard to develop a theology of cessationalism. And I'm not trying to create um, uh, dissension or, or, or stir up controversy, but, you know, there is a, a, an entirely uh, other group of the church that still holds to uh, what the New Testament taught. And, and, and you know, that, that Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit-filled theology, Pentecostal theology, um, whatever you want to call it, uh, still holds to the fact that the Holy Spirit is still operative in His people. And, and we believe that not only are the gifts of the Holy Spirit given for church, because that's the context Paul's speaking to here in chapters 12, 13, and 14, um, and he's talking about the importance of using them in order. Um, do you, does your church have a moment when, when spiritual gifts are in operation? And I'm not talking about necessarily speaking in tongues. That might be done. But prophecy, or praying for people for healing, or you know whatever it might be, um, there's opportunities for people to receive something from God, and 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 that's the beauty of what the the spiritual gifts do. They're not given to the 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 individual who has the gift to make them feel good. They're given so that we can help other people. Now. Um, listen to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about spiritual gifts or the special abilities that the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. Other, other translations say, Now, regarding spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant or I don't want you to be uninformed. I think too many of us as Christians are uninformed and ignorant when it comes to spiritual gifts. Do you know what your gifts are? Are you actively using them? You know, this list that he gives here in, in 1 Corinthians 12, um, he says there are many different kinds of spiritual gifts. The same Spirit is the source of them all. Um, he says to one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice or a word of wisdom. To another, is a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives faith, great faith to other people. Um, someone else, he gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from God um, or from another spirit. And then another person is given the ability to speak in unknown tongues. And then there's the in- gift to interpret. And, and so in this context of the local church, you see, you know, on any given Sunday or in a small group or whatever, you know, you might have one person ministering and operating in a particular gift. But each of these gifts we have access to. We have access to each one of these because there are some days I might need the gift of healing to help somebody who's sick. And if I'm by myself, you know, I may not have somebody else. It's just me. And so so, so that's up to me to pray for that person. And, and that's why, you know, we, and, and look, these gifts are to be taken outside the walls of the church. How powerful is it when we can take spiritual gifts outside the walls of the church and use them to help draw people to Christ. 
Um, you know, I've done other podcasts on spiritual gifts. I'm sure I'll do some in the future. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going through each one. But what I do want to do is I want to do what Paul does is I want to go over to chapter 14 and, and I want to just talk briefly about tongues and prophecy. Um, tongues is, you, you want controversy again, just start talking about tongues and you're going to have controversy. People are going to be coming out of the woodwork to argue for or against, um, speaking in tongues. Um, and, and you know, whatever it's between you and God, but here's what Paul said. This is, this is scripture. Paul says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities, the gifts that the spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. If you have the ability or the gift to speak in tongues, you'll only be talking to God since people won't understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be mysterious. But listen, one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Man, that's powerful. Um, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. He says, I wish, this is Paul talking, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish that you could all prophesy. For a prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets it. Now again, we're talking about the context of the church. In the context of the church, um, I don't need to, 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 to give a message in tongues unless there's somebody there to interpret it because somebody's not, the people aren't going to understand it. But a prophecy, listen to what he says about prophecy. It strengthens others, it builds them up, it encourages them, and it comforts them. If, 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 if you think you've got a word of prophecy and it doesn't um, strengthen, encourage, or comfort people, it's probably not from God. New Testament prophecy builds up, um, it encourages, and it comforts people. The Old Testament message of judgment, that's a, that was another thing. But, but we see New Testament prophecy um, coming out of a spirit of encouragement. But he also says, I wish you could all speak in tongues. And then even towards the end of the chapter, he says, this is amazing. He says, uh, be sure that, um, he, says, he says, my dear brothers, this is the end of chapter 14, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. But... Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. So that's what that's what we need to understand. In, in these chapters, Paul's just making sure everything's done right. He's not forbidding spiritual gifts. In fact, he's encouraging spiritual gifts. And this is back to my question. Are you operating in the spiritual gifts that, that, that God has for you? Um, the, the, the resource highlight, I'm going to give you a couple here. First of all, resource highlight is... Uh, my book, uh, Reflections on the Resurrection. Um, this will lead us into the next section that we're going to talk about. But I also want to go ahead and highlight this other resource highlight. And this is the Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms. A uh, fantastic introductory book to spiritual gifts. Um, uh, Pastor Sam or Dr. Sam uh, was a cessationalist. He actually taught... Uh, in seminary, he was a pastor who preached against spiritual gifts until the Holy Spirit changed his mind. 
And, 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 and you know, God's like that. Sometimes he just, he, he loves us and he'll let, like Pastor Sam did, he, for years and years and years, he preached against spiritual gifts. And then the Holy Spirit uh, showed him the truth of God's Word and how wrong he had been. And now he teaches others and equips others on how to use their spiritual gifts. So, so resource highlights for today, uh, Reflections on the Resurrection, uh, definitely, definitely, definitely check this out. And this, like I said, we're about to talk about the resurrection a little bit. Um, and then Sam Storm's book on spiritual gifts. So um, if this is something that interests you, and if it doesn't, it should, because we all should be seeking to operate in our gifts so that we can touch other people. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts to help draw people to Him. They're, they're, they're evangelism tools. They're pastoral tools. Develop the spiritual gifts, the ability to pray for people, the ability to prophesy. Uh, praying in tongues is one of the most powerful things you can do. As Paul said, to build yourself up. Um, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, uh, discerning of spirits, healing, miracles. All these gifts are so powerful and so important. All right, well, let's change gear before we wrap up this episode. And we will talk about the importance and the power of the resurrection of Christ. You know, when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we're talking about the most important historical event in history. Now, don't be, get me wrong, it had spiritual significance well beyond uh, the historicity of it. But if it wasn't historical, if it didn't actually happen, well, then we're in a world of hurt. Uh, Paul says if, if if there is no resurrection from the dead, he's, in fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Now, Paul does a fascinating thing here in 1 Corinthians. He actually gives in chapter 15 a, a witness list of people who encountered Jesus after the resurrection. He says, in this is chapter 15, verse 3, says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of the apostles. Now, how powerful is that? Paul is saying that Jesus rose from the dead, and here's the list of people who encountered him after the resurrection. Now, this is so important because, again, he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your faith is useless. You know, whenever we want to talk about Christianity, um, you know, sometimes people want to kind of tone this down and go, well, you know, uh, we, we live in a modern world. People don't really believe that stuff anymore. Well, they didn't believe it in the first century either. <laughs> they understood Jesus was dead. He was stone cold dead um, after being crucified and then stabbed by the Romans. I mean, he was dead, and yet... Paul, Peter, James, the Twelve, so many others, 500 of them, saw him after the resurrection. They encountered him. They ate with him. They hung out with him. 
until he was taken back into heaven. Now, why is this important? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, nothing matters. If Jesus did rise from the dead, everything matters. You know, Christians are all the time are accused of being uh, narrow-minded. Uh, we're, we're accused of, of being obnoxious and, and totalitarianism in the, in the sense of, you know, we believe that there's only one way to God and we're exclusionary. And, you know, it's sad if they want to feel that way, but I'm just thankful that there is a way to God. And the fact that Jesus is alive, he did rise from the dead, um, and, and, you know, Muhammad didn't, uh, all the Hindu gods are dead, uh, you know, really, you just go on down the line, Muhammad's dead, Buddha's dead, Confucius is dead, all the Indian gods are dead, the Hindu gods, um, I mean, look, they're all dead. Jesus rose from the dead to show that he truly was the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father by him. And, and this, so this chapter gives the historicity of the resurrection, but it also goes much further than that. It also gives us the pattern, um, th this idea, this understanding of what it's going to be like for us. Jesus is called the first fruit from the dead. And listen to what it says. It says, in the same way, this is 1 Corinthians 15, it was the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness. They will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual ones. This idea of... of, of you know, sometimes we think as Christians, these are just words we use at a funeral to make people feel good. What's the point of believing if it's not true? If if there's not more to this life, if there's not a hope of eternity, living not as a disembodied spirit, but the same kind of person, the same kind of body that Jesus had after the resurrection, that is the hope of the gospel. Paul says, for our earthly bodies, our dying bodies, must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Death is swallowed up in victory. He says, death, where is your victory? Where is your death? Where is your sting? The sin, for sin is the sting that results in death. The law gives sin its power. Thanks God, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why the resurrection is important. And Paul gives this uh, uh, amazing, amazing, masterful chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection from the dead. And I encourage you to check that out. Read it, uh, go through it, meditate on it. If you've never really given re much thought to why Easter is so important, well, this is it. Um, the reason Easter is important is because it's our hope as well. So, so by all means, check it out. Well, I'm going to stop there. Um, next week we will finish up uh, 1 Corinthians. We've got just a little bit to go, then we'll get into 2 Corinthians. And um, I hope this is helpful to you. I'd love to hear your comments. Go to davidspell.com, leave me a comment or a question in the comment section for today's post. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so that we can stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me. We'll see you next time on Leading and Learning. Mm -hmm.